This podcast is presented by State Farm, a proud supporter of women's soccer and all women's sports. Like a good neighbour, State Farm is there. Yeah, did watching Sweden basically handle Japan, at least for the first 60 minutes of that game, did that make you feel any better about the U.S. going out to them? No. Okay, next question. (laughs) (laughs) From Apple News, I'm Rebecca Lowe. And I'm Brendan Hunt. This is After the Whistle. We're coming to you right after the whistle of Japan-Sweden, here in Auckland, on a very bad day for my predictions. At last. Then the icon herself, Mia Hamm, joins us to give her take on what went wrong for the US and help us settle the nickname debate. Reminder, there will be adult language. You're welcome. (laughs) It is after the whistle. It's after the second of the four quarterfinals you've just been to. Japan against Sweden, Brendan. Yes, right here in Auckland, which, of course, it is not my lifelong dream to attend a match between (laughs) Japan and Sweden. That was not the goal. Both fine nations. Both fine nations. I have mild connections to each, um, but... uh, not what I was after. Not what I was after. But made the best of it. Glad I went. Good times had by all. But oh, it was so close to a great time. So close to a great time. <laughs> In a way, though, do you feel ever so slightly, minusculely, tiny percentage better about the US going out to Sweden now that Sweden have knocked out who you thought might actually win it in Japan? Yeah, I mean, I had that thought, you know, as the game was irrevocably heading toward its clear conclusion it was like okay well hold on if it ends up that sweden is actually really fucking good then that really mitigates the hurt on old the old us failure at least a little bit but however and i think we talked about this in the previous world cup it takes me a while to get to that point and i'm a far pettier <laughs> fan than that at first and the game itself from watching it on the telly i mean it was a completely different japan it was a proper uh, proverbial game of two halves. I'm now opening a Asahi out of respect for our fallen Ooh. friends. Um, again, I'm uh, I'm no tactical whiz, but it sure seemed to me like watching what I did of the Japan-Spain game, where Japan shocked the world by winning 4 nothing. All four of those goals were counterattacking goals. Mm-hmm. And that was not the Japan we saw tonight. Japan had a, a very high line of almost bafflingly unfamiliar height, frankly. And mm. I'm not sure that Sweden necessarily, you know, took advantage of that per se, but like, why, hold on, Japan, why are you, why are you messing with perfection? This was what mm. destroyed Spain and that just wasn't what they were doing. But Sweden just handed it to them. You know, Sweden just was not threatened. You know, Japan did not look like the Japan, the relentless, confident Japan that you expect to see. And they didn't, show that side of themselves to the final half hour of the game, then by then you're down to nothing. And and as furious as it was and as fantastic as it was to watch, it's too big of a hole by then. Football's so weird though, Brendan, isn't it? Because Sweden were not very good against the United States. And then they ping out a performance, certainly the first half, but on the whole... You could say the second half, they had grit, they had perseverance, determination, they hung in there. But especially in the first half, they played to every strength that we've seen them have in this World Cup with their crosses, with their physicality, with their height, with their corners, their set pieces. And they played well as well. And you're like, where was that? Football is so weird how in a few days you can go from rubbish to really quite good. It's one of the strangest things about the game that very few people can understand or explain. Yeah. 
And as a result of that, the switcheroo, or whatever you want to call it, when Japan did finally score in the 87th minute, it still felt like they were going to score again. It did. I mean, they had, you know, they had missed a penalty. They had had another chance go wanting. Like, it felt like this was the comeback, even as, as late as they finally did score, and that Sweden was just being overwhelmed. But still, you know, they hung on. They persevered. Good for you, Sweden. Japan, heck of a performance. And I think the tournament is worse without them, frankly, but... But yeah, you can't get that far behind. You just can't. Well, at least it means that you were wrong with your prediction, which makes me feel better. So maybe you aren't actually as Nostradamus as I thought you were. Well, this also could put me in better stead with my Australian friends I have here who were frankly quite angry with me that I would predict that Australia would go all the way to the final only to lose. <laughs> they, were very, they were very upset, very upset about that. So now it's Sweden against Spain in the semifinal. That is that is quite a tasty affair. And I and I think with Spain, they didn't have it all their own way against Netherlands today. But now from Sweden's point of view, they look to me like a team that is kind of under the radar growing into this tournament and dangerous and absolutely capable of winning it. 100%. 100%. Let's get to Spain uh, in a second here. I have a couple of other... Minor observations from this experience of going to the game tonight. First of all, Eden Park, the storied rugby ground, holds 50,000. It had 43,000 tonight. I mean, wow, this whole tournament has been match after match of setting women's football attendance records. And tonight was another broken record for a football crowd in New Zealand. Um, Can we talk about the wave? The wave. Rebecca, as as we call it in America, the wave, as you call it everywhere else in the world, the Mexican wave. Because the world (laughs) didn't see it until the 1986 World Cup. In Mexico, and so Mexico got the credit, even though it had been created a few years earlier. They started the wave tonight, and like, okay, mm-hmm. coming from Chicago, I can be a little bit uh, Puritan about some things that you know, come from you know Chicago baseball going. And like, when someone would try to do the wave at a baseball game in Chicago, like just fury would ring out. People would just get so angry. Now I go to Dodgers games, and it's like if the wave hasn't started by the time. You know, there's two outs in the first inning, then it's too late. All right, they fucking love the wave. This was a World Cup quarterfinal. Right. <laughs> and it was it was one nothing with 40 minutes gone, and people started doing the wave. And like Japan is down, but I see Japan flags going up. It's going all the way around. There's a Japanese woman behind me who was laughing. I got the sense that she was laughing harder than she'd ever laughed in her life. Like every single Mel Brooks movie <laughs> was playing. At, at the same time, uh, in one second, as the wave went by, she was giddy with joy. <laughs> and again, I, I don't like this puritanical side of me. I think it's wrong. Like, if, if the whole stadium is having fun, you surrender to the fun. I have recently, for the first time in my life, stood during a wave. I have surrendered to it. But this was inappropriate waving. Yeah. And the World Cup deserves better. According to reports, there were four full rounds of the Mexican wave. Four at this stadium in a World Cup quarterfinal. I didn't see that on the telly, but I am 100% with you. There is a time and there is a place for a Mexican wave. It is not, I don't think, at any stage of a World Cup. It's only for the 84th minute of a boring friendly. <laughs> yes. Isn't it? Yes. Yes. This was, this was wildly inappropriate, and it made me very upset. Um, okay. I'll talk about the handball penalty. In Japan, Sweden. Okay. Yes, uh, she touches it with her hand, but, like, she's jumping, and, like, how does your arm not go out that way? Like, uh, alleged unnatural position, but but that's how, how gravity works. Which it's all fine and good. But here's the only thing. Is they have to change, or at least specify the handball rule. It's, it's fucking up everyone. The head of UEFA literally was like, 
no one knows the handball rule anymore, which is an over-exaggeration. I, Rebecca, if there's anything you know about me, and of course we go way back. Way. You know that I think uh, American football and NFL is like overly legislated. There's far too many rules. You spend most of an NFL game watching an old man wearing stripes uh, speak to the camera to tell you about how those naughty boys just broke a rule. It's fucking absurd, and I hate it. But there's one rule, Rebecca, that I think is worth bringing into the handball discussion. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you know this rule. I don't know how well you know American football. I'm, I'm sure you know it a little bit. The uncatchable ball rule. Are you familiar with this rule? No, I don't know that rule. All right, you know pass interference. I mean, not massively, but carry on. If a defender, like, <laughs> really gives it to a receiver to whom the ball is being thrown, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, pass interference, and, you know, the ball moves which where the penalty occurred. Unless, mm-hmm. unless the ball was so high up that it was an uncatchable ball, in which case it wouldn't have affected the play, so let, let's, let's move on. Right. I think this should be brought into... Soccer. It's like the only American rule that I think should be brought into soccer, which is like if the ball is somewhere where it's not affecting anything, you know, whoever you're dragging down, wherever this handball is, like then uncatchable ball. Let's move on. Forget about it. So the problem is it's so subjective. If it's in an area where it's not affecting play, I just think we go down a humongous rabbit hole. What we need to try and do is keep rules black and white, don't we? And that wouldn't that add another layer of subjectivity? Possibly. I know, I know, I know, because the handball rule is an absolute mess. I do agree with you. Yeah, it's yucky. There are times when it is incredibly not subjective. When it's True. like, that ball was nowhere near the fucking play. Why are we talking about this? And I guess those are the only times. But I would, yes, I would, of course, hate for it to get down to like, well, we need to bring out replay again to show, uh, was it was the ball within three meters of uh, of the penalty, et cetera. That's yeah. what we don't want, of course. I mean, that takes us onto the Spain-Netherlands game where there was a handball from Stephanie van der Hart, which was in the 79th minute. And it was like... What are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, yeah, her body was outside of the box, but her hand was in. But what? It was One like, of the dumber handballs I've ever seen. I think he, she was playing handball at the Olympics. It was like, by the way, handball at the Olympics, side note, whoever remembers that's even an Olympic sport. What's next but netball? That weird netball game that you all play over in that oh, continent of yours. I played that at quite a high level. <laughs> The Australians, <laughs> quite quite a high level. I usually I was I played reserved, netball at but... quite a high level. Oh yeah, I was a great Uno player. Uh, ah, equally that's useful. That's so mean. <laughs> that is so mean comparing netball to Uno. Both are fantastic games in their own right. Netball being slightly superior. Anyway, so the handball. She was like, "Oh, let me just give it a little tap on the butt as it goes by me." They won't notice this, right? It was terrible. Anyway, and that that obviously led to the penalty. So then it was one nil. They scored the penalty. Then. Van der Hart got her redemption when, as a centre-half, she was somehow up front and made had a lovely run and strike to make it 1-1. So, you know, honours even at that point in the 91st minute, and then it went to extra time, Brendan. First of all, uh, my Netherlands friendin will be very upset if I do not stand up for her and say her name is Van der Gracht. Van der Gracht. Wow. Wow, so much phlegm. I know, I know. All right, so Spain reached the semifinals of the World Cup for the very first time. So they're going to play Sweden. Well done, Spain. Considering what they came into the tournament on the back of the mutiny, the 15 players who wrote the letter against the head coach, the federation who essentially ignored them, kept the head coach in. They have done pretty well. Pretty damn well. Do you want to just touch on the other two quarterfinals, which are coming up this weekend? So it's England against Colombia in Sydney at 6.30 Eastern Saturday. Before that, though... It's Australia-France at 3 a.m. Eastern, which is a yuck time in Brisbane. Sam Kerr with 11 minutes in her calf so far this tournament. And the manager saying, 
oh, if she's ready to play, she'll play, no questions asked. I would be amazed if she doesn't start. Yeah, me too. I mean, France is by far the sternest test Australia will have faced yet, but they've faced every test so far with great aplomb, and they've done it without the best player in the world. This is going to be a really, really fascinating game. Cannot wait. How are you feeling about England-Columbia without Lauren Uh, James for not one, but a possible two games should they get that far? Yeah, I think they've been pretty lenient on her. I have to say I was surprised. Um, But I also think that possibly there is an element of common sense. Were England to make the final, we don't want the best players in the world to be out because of a red card. And I've watched the stamp a number of times. And while it was definitely violent conduct, it wasn't the Rooney stamp of 2006. It was more of a petulant stampy step. Yeah, (laughs) it was the difference between um, fuck you and fuck you. Yeah, 100%. A whole different world, whole different world. 100%, whole different world. Um, So I'm feeling relatively confident. The Lionesses are in good spirits. Colombia are the lowest ranked team left in the tournament. Not that that means anything in this particular tournament. They've had seven yellow cards, which is the most in the World Cup so far. We know about their aggression. We know about their physicality before the World Cup. And we did mention this once before, but it's worth mentioning again. They played Ireland in a behind club closed door game and it was abandoned I think it was abandoned in the first half oh something like at 29 minutes in or something yeah something crazy and the island coach said afterwards it was something I'd never experienced before in my 47 years being involved in football not as a player and not as a coach that a behind closed doors game has to be abandoned because Colombia are just over physical so I'm a bit nervous about it but I've got confidence and I think we'll go through. It's really an under-the-radar fascinating story of the run-up to the World Cup, frankly, this Columbia-Ireland game. Yeah. I mean, can we list all the injuries England has had? At first, you know, mainly pre-tournament, but now also during tournament. Walk me through. We got Leah Williamson. We got Beth, Beth Mead. Beth Mead. Frank Kirby. Frank Kirby. Oh, yeah, yeah. And now you're not going to have Lauren James either. I mean... No, Kira Walsh as well, who got injured, came back and played, but played a lot of, I think she got subs in the 120th minute. So she went from being stretched off as our most important player to then facing Nigeria and playing 120 minutes. So that, although it's not technically an injury, that concerns me a little bit. It's like, you know, it's a massive recovery, a very quick recovery. So yeah, a lot of injury problems. And besides the fact that Columbia plays so physically, they still have, though I don't believe she's scored since the Germany game, quite possibly the best player left in the tournament in Caicedo. And she's just lurking. She's just lurking. So that's a very tough one for England. But you know why I want England to win that one, Rebecca? Besides my affection for you and my desire for you to be happy all the time and all things, is that the only thing, the only solace I could possibly have in this absolute bust of a trip where I have traveled all these miles (laughs) with so many family members to watch the U.S. not score a goal in one game would be to experience an England-Australia semifinal in Australia. I want this so bad. Yeah. So bad. Yeah. Anywho, England, Australia, rooting for it hard. France, Colombia, I apologize. This podcast is presented by State Farm, which believes in amplifying the voices and profiles of women athletes. By ensuring coverage for female athletes today, State Farm helps set the stage for women's sports tomorrow. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Good people of After the Whistle, it is our honor to now welcome a soccer icon onto the pod, two-time Olympic gold medalist, two-time World Cup champion with 158 
career international goals. That is 158, a trailblazer, an absolute ledge, as Rebecca would say, in every sense of the word. Ladies and gentlemen, Mia Ham. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So, Mia, two of four quarterfinals down. You watched them both today, one of which being at an incredibly inconvenient time for you. What's your take on uh, on where the tournament is at now that we're down to our final six? Well, there's going to be a newly crowned World Cup champion, so first ever. So I think that's exciting. You know, this tournament has kind of shown all the wonders of the game that, you know, every single moment matters. Just watching Japan today, they played a very un-Japan-like game. They seemed flustered. They seemed out of rhythm. And that's all due to Sweden. They seem to put a lot of pressure on them. I doubt the game plan when Japan was training was to serve balls into the box against Sweden. But that's what they ended up doing for most of the first half. And it wasn't until they played the ball on the ground, found people's feet, did combinations at the top of the box, inside the box, did they have success and put Sweden under pressure. Mia, has there been a team that you've watched so far in this tournament that you have developed a bit of love for that you hadn't expected? I think Colombia, you know, South Africa too. You just see the pride in which they take when they step onto the field. And one of the great things about soccer that I love is effort matters, heart matters. And these are two teams that come in with their own expectations, but I'm sure their opponents might have overlooked them in some regards, but they've played some entertaining soccer. They've played soccer that they can be proud of when they step off the field and they've given everything they've had and they've played with emotion. This tournament in the end comes down to obviously game planning, but you know, who wants it more? So this tournament has been so good for the game. I mean, it really has. And I think you will see the ripple effects of the success of so many debutantes for years to come. Yeah. One thing we've been talking about a lot on the Safari is how like, okay, when you get to a a tournament that expands, as this one did to suddenly being 32 teams, like, oh boy, is it going to be uncompetitive, too thinned out. And here we are about to have a new champion. And that bodes very, very well. I want to go back to the Sweden game. Real quick, this is a question that Rebecca asked me that I will now pass on to you via what we call in arithmetic the transitive property. Yeah, did watching Sweden basically handle Japan, at least for the first 60 minutes of that game, did that make you feel any better about the U.S. going out to them? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next question. Uh, No, no, it, it doesn't. Because first of all, you know, I'm part of that program. It means so much to me. And I want nothing but success for the players and the coaches. You know, I was at the game and it was a hard one to swallow because they played well enough to win and they had their chances to win, you know, and it didn't work out. And that's frustrating. But no, I'm, I'm not necessarily cheering for Sweden. It didn't make me feel any better. Mia, this is a a really difficult question because when a team exits a World Cup way earlier than anyone expected, it's not just one thing that's wrong. There's There's a number of things that haven't gone how they wanted it to. But if you had to maybe pick one factor that is the main reason why the US 
went out when they did, what would that be, Mia? You know, they, they played hard and I've seen a lot of those players play and they're committed every single time they step on the field. You know, I think injuries hurt them. And I know a lot of teams had some injuries, but you had Alex playing a a nine and she's not a nine. So I don't know if formation change would have helped. In in some regards, I, I felt that they didn't necessarily have a scheme. Like I think they had a game plan, but when you're under stress, you tend to grab hold of what feels comfortable. So for instance, with Alex, you know, not necessarily being a nine, if you watched her in the stadium, her tendency is to play the back shoulder because that's her strength. And so I don't know if the injuries, they were constantly shuffling with personnel and trying to figure out who fits where best. They just seemed to not feel comfortable. The first game, they just looked nervous, you know, the first couple games. And that's normal. So like I said, a lot of the times when you feel that way, you just, you want something comfortable to grab onto and whether that's a system of play or a position but that's just a general observation. <laughs> All right. Well, since we can't go back, we can't undo it. All we can do is look forward. And what does that mean? That means our only possible positive contribution from here can be, Mia, if you will join us, is trying to finally, unequivocally, provide our women's national team with a proper nickname. And it's exacerbated by the fact I'm here in Australia and I hear Australian people like, I am Matildas, yeah. And like right away, they know one word. They, they've really crushed it down here. They got the wallabies and rugby. Ah. Netball, they're the diamonds, I believe. Netball. Brendan, I told you it was a great game. Even Mia Ham knows about it, all right? I can't believe we have a double netball <laughs> reference episode. Thank you, double netball <laughs> reference. Mia knows, hashtag Mia knows. That's all I'm saying. You're we've welcome. Been trying to work, we've been trying to get um, our listeners to help and provide suggestions for nicknames, okay? And we've kind of, Brendan, is it fair to say we've whittled it down to six of our favorites. We've whittled. We've whittled. Yeah, we've whittled. Um, I'm going to read each one. Brendan's going to try and sell you each one, Mia. Equally. I'm not going to judge anyone more than the other. No. Right, right. Yeah, because you don't have your favorite. And then how many are we asking Mia to make into the final shortlist? Three. Three. So, Mia, you have to pick three if possible, please. Okay, great. It's very difficult from the six. So, okay. My palms are sweating. I don't know. This is a lot of pressure. Right? I know. There's so much writing on this. It's the whole future of the game. I know. It is. Okay, it is. here we go. Um, okay, first one, the first ladies. What do we think? First lady, a common American term. She's she's shaking her head also, already. Also, our ladies no. are in first. They've won more World Cups than anyone. <laughs> our ladies she, are first. She, Continue. Okay, the second one, Brendan, explain the Harleys. Again, American iconography of Harley Davidson's, but also invoking Harley Quinn, who uh, seems like she's all adorable and everything, but she's actually an assassin who will fucking murder you. The Harleys. <laughs> okay. Don't answer us yet, Mia. Just just, just soak all these in, okay? Number three, the Liberty Bells. Again, American iconography. And just, you know, we've, we've sat with this one for a while. And it just, the pun of it, the wordplay, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> Number four, Usa. Usa, organic, historical, you know the roots. Also, a bit tongue-in-cheek, a bit self-effacing, Usa. (laughs) Number five, the Riveters. Off of Rosie the Riveters, we also thought about doing the Rosies, but sometimes you have someone named Rose on the team, and it can be confusing. Again, American iconography, 
Riveters. And number six, the Sheagles. <laughs> Is anything more American than an eagle? <laughs> well, what about what about a Sheagle, <laughs> which is, I believe, the or- ornithological term for a female eagle? Picturesque, powerful. Is it? Sheagle. Is it? God knows. Yeah, Mia. yeah, yeah. Please, I was just at the museum. I checked. Sheagle. <laughs> All right, so Mia, we've got First Ladies, Harleys, Liberty Bells, Usa, Riveters and Sheagulls. Can you pick us three so that we can get it right down to the, the, the final three? I would say Usa, Riveters mm-hmm. and Liberty Bells. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a good three. Yeah. Solid three. Usa, Riveters, Liberty Bells. All right, we're going to put that to a vote. Brilliant. That's great. We have focus now. Folks, we're going to get a hashtag coming up soon. We're going to get down to this. Mia, thank you for setting us down the right course. You're welcome. And Mia, thank you for joining us. Just before you go, who's your pick to win it? Um, England. I knew I loved her. I loved her since the day I met her. I love her even more now. (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) I had to do it for Rebecca. You're the best. Thank you, Mia, so much. We really appreciate your time. It's an honor, Mia. Thank you. All right. Take care. On or off the pitch, women athletes deserve to be recognized for being awesome competitors and for being inspiring role models for generations to come. That's why State Farm is proud to present this podcast. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Rebecca, I ask of you, as we enter the final phase of this podcast, is it enough to have bits? No, I do think you have to have bobs. At least one bob. Bits and bobs! (laughs) Bits and bobs! Here we go. In England, they call them bits and bobs. But as (laughs) as a Chicagoan, they're bits and bobs. Let's get some bobs in those bits. What do you got there, Rebecca Lowe? Well, I think because you've mentioned it a couple of times before on this pod that you were going to bring it up and I still haven't heard it. And now that Japan are out, I would like to hear your Japanese linguistic talent. You have Ah, three phrases. I took two years of Japanese in high school, two solid years of immersing myself in the language. And then when I got to college, the only Japanese class uh, conflicted with the acting class I had to take. So I never took Japanese again. And it's all left me except for these three phrases. Okay. Doki doki watashitachi wa pikuniku ni igimasu, which means sometimes we go on picnics. <laughs> okay. Hyaku hayaku donatsu wo kudasai. Which means, please bring me 1,000 donuts quickly. <laughs> and Nihongo uh, Anashimasen, which means, I do not speak Japanese. Arigato. Arigato. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But the, the, enough of my bits and bobs, Rebecca. I feel like you got a pocket full of bits and or bobs. Well, I will tell you one little bit. Chloe Kelly and the amazing penalty she scored, Brendan, to send England to the quarterfinals. So listen to this. FIFA have a connected ball technology situation, which is a microchip inside the ball that can measure the speed that it's traveling. And Chloe Kelly's penalty was measured at 69 miles per hour, which, believe it or not, I know, was reportedly faster than not only any shot at the World Cup, but any shot in the Premier League all of last season. Any penalty shot? No, no, no. 
any shot shot. Period. Period. Full stop. The closest was West Ham's Saeed Benrahma. He had a shot at 67 miles an hour. That's a whole two miles an hour less than Chloe Bullet Kelly. Uh, that is a part of my French, but that is fucking baller. <laughs> and the best part for me is if you're going to have the fastest shot, 69 miles per hour, by far the most funny number. She could have done 70. She could have done 68, but no, 69. My high school sophomore self, also my 51-year-old self, has never loved soccer more than in this moment. Thank you, Chloe Kelly, for all that you have given us. 69 miles per hour. (laughs) Correct. One other Bob that I would like to bring up, please, is you know how we were just talking about how there's been loads of compassion at this World Cup and all the players have been consoling each other at the end of games and it's all been so lovely, all the women in it together. Well, the Dutch player, Lyneth Bierenstein, who played today... um, Well pronounced, good job. Thanks. Before the quarterfinal, she said this, From the first moment I heard the USA were out, I was just like, yeah, bye. From the start of the tournament, they had really big mouths and were already talking about the final. I was thinking you first have to show it on the pitch before you talk big. I'm not being rude in that way. I still have a lot of respect for them. Mm, Yeah, sounds like it. But now they're out the tournament. And for me, it's a relief. And for them, it's something they will have to take away with them in the future. Don't start to talk, she says, about something that is far away. I hope they will learn from that. Well, let me just say, they've gone out. The Netherlands and Sydney LaRue has put on Twitter a brilliant comeback. She's put this today. One thing we've learned is wait to talk shit until after you're on the podium with a gold medal because now you're by two. And I've just sworn for the first time on After the Whistle. That's not the first time. Um, also, <laughs> on top of that, Lyneth had a bit of a shocker. She was absolutely profligate. She had chance after chance and just blew it. But I'll say this for my Dutch friends, having lived among them, what they'll do a lot of times is they'll say something that is actually kind of true, but you didn't need to say that. Right. You didn't need to say that. It was a bad idea. Why did you do that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I see that a lot, actually. When the when Dutch footballers and managers speak, you're right. They're just very blunt, no filter. Kind of like it, though. Yeah. Kind of here for it. Yeah. Any more bits and bobs, mate? I would just like to uh, shout out Meg Linehan, who, uh, speaking of the reaction to the US going out, had a really great column. I mean, she's always great, but this one particularly great on The Athletic. It's from Wednesday, actually, which, you know, is still going to be like Thursday of next week here. But titled This World Cup's Anti-USWNT Outrage Isn't Just Hateful, It's Irrational. Excellent column. I recommend it. Okay. Check that out. All right, mate. So can I wish you good luck to Arsenal for this weekend? And I know you wish me good luck for England and Crystal Palace. It's a massive weekend in football. I am like super excited. Are you going to get to watch Arsenal Forest? Well, Arsenal starts at halftime of the England-Columbia game, so it's going to be a little little tricky. But real quick, I'm going to be watching that game, the first half of England-Columbia, on the Twitch stream of Men and Blazers. Cool. And by the way, me and Rebecca were on the Men and Blazers podcast the other day, and it was great fun. So give that a check out if you're desperate for more Brendan and Rebecca content. All right, mate. Until our next pod, which will be on Monday, you have a great weekend. Good luck tomorrow, Rebecca. My heart is with you. Thanks, mate. Be sure to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, where you can also rate and review us. It really helps people find the show. And for round-the-clock tournament news, scores and standings, check out My Sports on the Apple News app, where available. My fiancé wanted me to say, hey, you're doing a great job with uh, Lindsay Horan's ponytail situation. Oh, tell your fiancé thanks so much. Um, 
Does she know what the trick is? Does she need me to like share these the Haran trick that I've discovered on TikTok? I, I believe that would be appropriate, yes. Okay, I'm going to share these that because it's a flipping life changer. Folks, we are getting into the football nitty gritty. <laughs> By the way, Lindsay sent me a love heart. So she loved it too. Wow. So uh, there's that. Friends. <laughs> <laughs> 